Hey Lord God, you love us so deeply and so passionately. And we thank you so much that even though, Lord, we are pretty unlovable sometimes, um, you just, you shower your grace down into our life. And so God, we pray that as we study your word and hear, that we would hear your voice and that the words of love that you extend to us, saying I love you, would sink deep into our hearts and that we would be the people who would share that good news with the world. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Please have a seat. God loves us so much and so passionately. And, and this series, the This Is Love series, is an awesome series. Uh, we have um, studied the scripture from 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. Do you guys know that scripture? It starts with the most amazing words in scripture, I think. And it's just simple. God is love. I mean, those words alone stop you in your tracks. You read those. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. That, that, that when you're talking about God, you can't have a conversation about God without having a conversation about love. And if you're having a conversation um, that doesn't express or embody love, then you're having a conversation that's far from God. It's very far from God. And so when we're talking about love, this is love, we're talking about the, not nuts and bolts, we're talking about the very center, the very heart of, of our faith. And so we're going to be looking at a pretty awesome scripture today. Uh, it's one that most people attribute to a wedding, or how many people have been to a wedding recently? Or, uh, no? How many people have a dress in their closet that they'll never wear again, but they got it because they were at a wedding? Yeah, I do. I do. I raised my hand, so just... Uh, <laughs> confession. Um, I didn't know. I was tuxedos. Um, so um, we, uh, we, when we hear this, this scripture at weddings, we all think it's about couples. But actually, this scripture was written to a church that was needing a little bit of encouragement to love one another, and they needed a little bit of refining because Paul wanted to make sure that they understood exactly what, what was talked about when he said, you must love one another. So hear these words. This is from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Um, and it says these words. If I speak in the tongues of angels, uh, I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Basically, I sound like, uh, let's see if I can do this. That's what you, it's not really, but actually that sounds pretty good. I actually, sorry about that. But, but, okay, yesterday we had a memorial service here for a guy named Stephen Mayorino, and he was a beautiful life. He, he was in a wheelchair, and um, he actually had cerebral palsy. So if you ever met him in worship here, even two weeks ago when he was here for the New Year's service for our launch of This Is Love, um, you would never have heard him say anything because he was unable to speak. So he never spoke in the tongues of angels or of mortals. But when you came, we had a full house here for his memorial service yesterday, and it was filled with people who were able to say that Stephen was such a loving human being because they sensed it. They knew it. His eyes, they said, when you looked into his eyes, and I can tell you, whenever you got to see this guy in worship, you would look, go up to him, and he was just exuding love with his life. So, so that is to say... You, you don't, love is not about speaking in tongues of angels or of mortals. You can do that, but you can still not have love. Love is something deeper, something more profound. See, scripture backs up the importance of love. It says that if you don't have love, you're nothing. That's a pretty powerful statement, that if you don't have love, you're absolutely nothing. This is how the scripture goes on to say, it says, if I have prophetic powers, uh, 
if you're a fortune teller, if you can see the future, if you can speak truth about the future, actually speak honest, godly truth about the future, if you have prophetic powers and you understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, if you're as smart as Stephen Hawking, um, or it says, so as to remove mountains, and if I have all, all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and I have and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Scripture is saying that you could be the most generous person in the entire world. You could be the richest, most generous person. You could give away more stuff to more poor people and, and to more people in need than anybody else. But the scripture says that if you do not have love, there's no point. You're missing the entire point. You're actually just a clinging gong or a clinging symbol. This, this scripture is, uh, is it's, it, it reminds me of um, a leadership concept. And I, I say this because all of us are leaders in our own right. Each one of you is uh, the leader of your own life. And so you have decisions, leadership decisions to make in your life. Now, uh, this, is, this is a beautiful principle. I want you to think about it, and I want you to think about it in your upcoming week or upcoming month. But every decision that you have in your life is, can either be guided by love or is either guided by fear. So whenever you have a decision in your life about whether to do something, the good question to ask yourself is, am I being led in this response? Am I being led in this statement or this gesture or this, this, this action? Am I being led by love? Or am I being led in my response by fear? I love the... Um, I love this scripture. It continues to say, it clarify what love is. And this is probably pretty familiar to some of you guys, but love is patient is what Corinthians says. Paul says, love is kind. So there's no such thing as holy impatience, by the way. Um, and then also love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. So if you see boastful behavior or you Okay, let's stop pointing the finger at other people and being judgmental. Let's think about ourselves here for a second. If you are boastful or you're arrogant or rude, you're not, you're not embodying love. You are far from loving. And so that's, what's, that's what Paul, he feels like people need to be reminded of that. Um, um, guess times don't change, right? So it doesn't, it, it, love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth, and it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, one of my heroes in life is uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's a mouthful, isn't it? So they shortened it to MLK Weekend, which I think robs him of the Reverend. I like to call it Reverend King Weekend, because I don't want us to forget about where his purpose, where his drive, where his passion came from. Where did this change and transformation come from? If we cut off the reverend, we just turn him to Martin Luther King, the speaker, the orator, we lose everything. You know, uh, a lot of people tried to intimidate uh, Reverend King. They tried to, they thought that if they could intimidate him, that they could cause him to stop doing what he was doing, to speak out against injustice in his world. And so they would call in death threats. They actually put him in prison they uh, th- threw a bomb through his window. They, they would send letters and death threats to all of his family members, thinking that if they, could, if they could instill fear in Reverend King, that somehow he would back down from what he was called to do in life. 
But actually, uh, if you look at the sermons and you look at the speeches of Reverend King, you will find that he says, you know what? I will not be guided by fear. I will not, not let fear get in the way of what God is calling me to do in this life. I will not be a person who, for whom fear takes over. Instead, I will be a person who is led by love. Now, a little side note, a little interesting thing. Do you know, as historians have looked back on the civil rights movement and big reason why it was so successful is that Reverend King was able to look at the KKK, this evil, uh, oppressive force, this, this group of people who were um, lording over others in the South. And they had a lot of money. They had a lot of power. They had a lot of influence. But Reverend King started to refer to the KKK in terms of compassionate words. Instead of saying, oh, I'm afraid of them, he would say things like, oh, so sad, those pathetic human beings. And suddenly there was like this spiritual jujitsu move where suddenly to be part of the KKK was to be part of a group of crazy, idiotic, you know, lunatics. Not something noble and something courageous, but something fearful and weak and, and sad. But what you can do, if you dig deep down beneath that understanding, you will see that the power of the movement was the love because it wasn't a fake compassion. It was a true compassion. He really cared for those people, and he felt horrible that they would live in that kind of imprisonment in their life. This scripture that um, we read today is as much about telling us what is not love as it is about what is love. See, we need clarity. We need to know that that when we see something or a certain kind of behavior, say, you know, that is not love. And then when we know that God is love, we know that it is not God. And to have that kind of clarity, we don't, that's why we come to church. That's why we come to hear the word of God, because we need that that level of truth speaking in our lives. Um, Jesus was on the speaking circuit and he was out going around the countryside. And one of the um, speeches he gave Uh, after one of the speeches he gave, there was a man who was kind of arrogant um, and kind of uh, boastful and rude who got up and tested Jesus. And um, this man, by the way, in the scripture, just not that picture, but this man in the scripture turned out to be, I think it's just coincidence, he turned out to be a lawyer. I don't think it has anything to do with the story really, but it says, just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this guy, by the way, you can tell a lot about him by the very first question he asks of Jesus. How can I get more out of life? How can I, how can I secure my place in heaven? You know, who's, who's the major, major subject of this guy's conversations probably most of the time? Himself, exactly. What can I get out of Jesus? You know, if you ever encounter someone, have you ever had a relationship with, with someone and you realize that their relationship with you is only to try to get stuff from you? And it wasn't to just love you and care for you and to develop a real relationship with you. Um, so this guy says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and I had a tricky question after the first service today. And you know what I did? I did the dumbest thing. I tried to answer it. <laughs> Jesus never answers those questions. The way he responds to a question is with a question. Yes. And so he says these words, and I'm serious. You need to start doing this in your life. You'll see a change. Um, he said to him, what Jesus says, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And the man answered, well, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
and with all your uh, mind and, and your neighbor as yourself. Now this guy, by responding this way, is saying, you know what? I've been listening to you. I've got the right answers. I remember, Jesus, when someone came to you and said, what is the greatest commandment? And you said, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus then replies. He says, you got it right, buddy. He says, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. See you later. Have a good one. Good luck with that. Well, then the guy says that he needs to justify himself. He's feeling a little bit like, hold on a second. So he says to Jesus, <laughs> but wanting to just, justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, <laughs> Jesus, is, Jesus is ready for this. He's got a back pocket sermon he's about to preach. <laughs> Jesus says, okay, listen to this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fan, fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him. Just imagine, they ripped all of his clothes off of him. They beat him, and they went, and went away, leaving him half dead. This is a horrible crime. And he goes on to say, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. Oh, fantastic. A priest. Priests are amazing. They have little hearts on their shirts, so they must be perfect, right? <laughs> so listen to what the priest does. You've got to get excited when you hear the priest coming down the road. And when he saw him, the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. Wait, why did he walk to the other side of the road? Was he afraid? Was he afraid that maybe it was an ambush? Was he afraid that, that maybe that he would get dirty or that the guy had some kind of disease? Or, or was he afraid that, that he might miss his appointment? What kind of fear words were creeping into his head to tell him, don't stop? But he kept on going. But the scripture goes on to say, Jesus says, that so likewise a Levite. Oh, fantastic. Another man who knows the Shema. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This guy's going to totally live out this commandment. And then it says, the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Wait a second. But then Jesus says, but a Samaritan, while traveling near him, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. Have you ever uh, had someone describe in detail like a medical procedure that they had had done and when they like go a little too far, it just becomes so like visceral, like you're, you're actually like imagining it and then you're like, this is too much, buddy. I'm going to like throw up or something. Have you ever had that? Or, no? Okay. Tell, just me then. That's pity. That's compassion. It's where you have such a visceral connection to someone telling you about the depths of their brokenness and their wounding that you can hardly go there yourself because you feel like you're actually experiencing what, they're, what they are telling you about. That's pity. That's compassion. That's what the Samaritan had on this guy, this random guy that was beat up and left on the side of the road for dead. And it says these words, then he put him on his own, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds having poured oil and wine on them. Imagine the, the, I want you to like kind of envision, the scripture wants you to envision the blood, wants you to envision the mess, the, 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 it's a grotesque scene that's taking place. And this man is willing to dip, step aside. He's not wearing his, he's not traveling wearing his, um, you know, dirtiest clothes. He's probably traveling wearing his traveling clothes and the only clothes he has. Yet he's willing, to ready, willing and ready to get dirty and it says that he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. So he does have a destination he needs to get to, but he stopped before he went. 
And, which, and then Jesus says to this guy, which three of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And Jesus is like, it's not a trick question. And the man says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This guy comes to Jesus and he says, who is my neighbor? Have you ever had those moments in your life where you also have said, who's my neighbor? And when you hear the truth of God saying that someone is in your neighbor, you kind of have that uncomfortable moment where you say, well, I just wish the answer was a little bit easier than that. I wish my neighbor wasn't a prisoner or an enemy or someone that, that I couldn't relate with or connect with or someone who was a little grumpier or someone who, who, just, who just rubbed you the wrong way. You see, when Jesus um, speaks about the Samaritan, I mean, Jesus could have chosen anybody, but he chose someone who was from Samaria. Samaria was a different country. But to say that it is a different country at those times is not enough. Samaria was seen as the lowest of low people. They were poor. They were, they were not easy to talk to. They were difficult to get along with. They were um, looked down upon by everybody in the Jewish community in that country. But they were from Samaria. And they looked down on those people. And so Jesus invokes this guy. And not only Samarians, but Samaritans were actually also from a different faith that was very antagonistic with the Jews, that was always fighting with the Jews and telling the Jews that they were wrong and that they had it all wrong and their faith was totally messed up. And so, so there was just a lot of social reasons, societal reasons that kept the Samaritans away from the, from the Jews and like generations of history of brokenness, of people people probably fighting against each other and killing, killing neighbors. And so now we have this guy that Jesus brings in, the Samaritan. And he says, the Samaritan is the one that stops on the side of the road and cares for this man who is in his time of need. See, Jesus wants us to know that our neighbors, when we are called to love our neighbors, that means Everybody. There is no boundary to who your neighbor is. There is, no, there is no, no constraint on who your neighbor is. And ever since Highland started, we have always understood that our, when Jesus calls us to love our neighbors, it does not mean the people in our neighborhood only. It doesn't just mean to love our enemies. It doesn't just mean to love the prisoners. It doesn't just mean to live the, love the people in Paso Robles. Uh, we have a mission trip going out to Nicaragua. This is the last one that we had that was um, from 2016. We have a mission trip going out to Nicaragua this spring because we believe that the people in Nicaragua are our neighbors. And the people in Guatemala that we went send a mission trip to and Costa Rica and the people in Uganda that we've sent a mission, done mission work with. See, those are our neighbors. And Jesus wants us to know that there's no delineation. If they're in need, it is our obligation to help those people. It is our obligation to stop and not feel like, oh, the fear of it's going to be too expensive or the fear that it's going to take too much of a diversion out of our journey or of our plan or whatever we feel like is, is, is the thing that's going to be making our life perfect. You know, one of the things that, that stu stood out to me in this scripture is, that, is this kind of simple statement that love stops us in our tracks. 
then when we are filled with love, we are stopped in our tracks. We won't continue on on our journey just oblivious to what's going on, only destination-focused. I've always said that Highlands Church, we are people who believe that this life is a journey, not all about the destination. That we have to care for each other and walk alongside one another. And Jesus, by the way, is speaking directly to this concept of tribalism that we have in our minds, where it's like you want to love the person that is most like you, the person that looks exactly like you in the mirror. And Jesus is saying, no, you have to love the person who's of the other gender. You have to love the person who is of the other tribe, who is of the other race, who is of the other country, every single person, and not just love them, but understand, and love them in a way like the Samaritan did, where the Samaritan didn't just kind of like, you know, throw a few bucks that guy's direction and say, here, go get, get yourself taken care of. The Samaritan washed those wounds. The Samaritan put him on his own horse, and the Samaritan took him into an inn and put him up for the night and cared for him as though this man, this stranger, was actually a brother, was actually a long-lost brother. And that's what we are. We're all human. We're all created in the image of God. And so Jesus is calling us to actually, he's saying, you want to find somebody to be like? He says, be like the Samaritan. This week, by the way, we're starting these small groups. And there's so many, so many groups going on. There's the women's groups. There's the, there's the grief group. There's the Financial Peace University. All of them are basically, I've always said, the same thing packaged differently. They're all the same thing packaged differently, which is people getting together and walking through life with one another. Now, some of you, I know, would have signed up for the small groups this last week and thought to yourself, you know, actually, there's a few things I didn't see on my calendar. I do have to go to Costco next week, and that might be more important. Or, I, or actually, you know what? I did, I did have this, uh, this appointment to, uh, to, to go and get my tires checked. So um, if I miss that... Or, or maybe there's this fear in other ways. Uh, I believe all of these things are motivated by fear. Because I, ultimately, I think that we do have a fear of connecting with the other. We have a fear of finding ourselves in vulnerable places where we are actually connecting with people that are different from us and might rub us the wrong way. But again, the big question of this life is, are you going to be the kind of person that is going to make stopping for the other people in this world who are in the time of need a second priority or the top priority? Are you going to be the kind of person that is so embodied by love that you are going to be stopped in your tracks and you're going to have no other priority in life other than to care for other human beings and to listen to them and to, and, and to serve them in any way you can? And the question is, are you going to have love lead you into those places that the world would not design? Those places that the world would say, no, this isn't, this isn't how things match up. But yet God wants us to, 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 to live in common humanity with one another and to walk alongside each other. And I hope this ch series challenges you. I hope that your hearts, that little part of your heart where you feel like you look through Corinthians, you go like, love is not, love is patient, love is kind, love is not arrogant or boastful. I pray that this would be an opportunity for you to find that little place in your life that you feel like, you know what? Love is so important. Love is so vital to the faith. In fact, the scripture says, without love, we are nothing. And so, so that means that if we study love, when we focus on love, then we are going to be strengthening that very core of who we are as human beings. Now, I understand not everybody can be a part of one of the This Is Love groups, but on the front page of the website, you can download the group curriculum to do as a family. 
On, and then as we walk through each week, we're going to post a chapter at a time every single week for you to walk through. So every single person can be a part of this. So you don't have, there's no excuses to not do it, except um, just be, to be motivated by love in your life. Sound good? All right, please stand as we uh, pray for this campaign Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for Reverend King. We thank you for all of the faithful men and women that walked alongside him, that that were not filled with fear, but they were willing to be motivated by love. A vision of love and a vision of community that you, you clearly stated when you told that story of the Good Samaritan, Lord. We pray that that story would rattle around in our brains and that we would be convicted by it, that we'd be the kind of people that would stop in our tracks to to, to serve those people that are so different from us and that, we, that, that society would say, oh, you know, you don't have to have anything to do with those people. Lord, we pray that your voice would continue to rattle around in our hearts, that, it would, that, that the words that you've spoken today, Lord, would sink deep into our souls. And they would help take all those things, like those lives of generosity that we live, which are wonderful things, those, those beautiful acts of kindness that, that embody everything. But Lord, we pray that at the center of it all would be this thing, this love, this very presence of you at overflowing into the lives of the people around us. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.